It's a Saturday morning in eastern Oklahoma. The sky is clear and big, the air is sticky and hot, and the mosquitoes are vicious. I'm here to meet a local rancher named Nate Bradford Jr. One of our producers, Camille, is with me. We're at Nate's Corral, a cluster of pens on rolling grassy land. Today, they're full of beef cattle. Like most Black ranchers in Oklahoma, Nate raises animals for meat. There are dozens of cows grazing in ankle-deep grass and galaxies of flies following them around wherever they go. Nate pulls up in a truck and steps out wearing a wide-brimmed cowboy hat, a long-sleeved denim button-down, wranglers, work boots, and brown leather chaps. Oh, it's already getting sticky. Yep. This part of eastern Oklahoma is where the South meets the mythic western frontier. And Nate tells us we're right by an important historical marker. See these cows on the hill here? Just on the side of the road. That's the Georgia line. The Georgia line is an area where Black migrants from the Deep South settled. Like other migrants, they came in search of land and opportunity. But they also came to escape Jim Crow. Nate's family made that move in the early 20th century up from Georgia and Louisiana. So this is uh, where the family and stuff has been at for years. So this is why we call it G-Line Ranch. So we're running three miles to the west. G-Line is Nate's ranch. And today he's vaccinating and deworming his cattle. It's a family affair. He's got his whole extended family, as in kids, brothers, nieces, and nephews, here to help out. They get the cows into a kind of assembly line and walk them towards a big yellow metal chute. We're gonna bring them to the squeeze chute and give them the meds. Each cow moves through to the end where its head gets locked in so it can't move. Then Nate vaccinates it with a massive, massive syringe. And Nate's eldest son puts a deworming paste, a white watery liquid in its mouth before setting it loose. Oh, and their mouths look so nasty. (laughs) Everybody has a role in the work, which Nate reminds the kids when they sneak off to take a break. This is grueling work, especially in this 100-degree heat. Everyone's sweating right through their shirts. But it's fun, too. It's family time. Nate radiates this joyful, exuberant energy, even hours into handling one angry, spitting cow after another. This is his element. It's going good for a hot, sunny, cold day. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed you got some beers. Yeah, we got to enjoy it. Uh, It'll work for you there. You got to know how to do your time. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have fun out here with your family. Oh, yeah. You hear some of the crap talking going on. You ain't gonna get away with nothing around here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to tell somebody something. That's just kind of the cowboy way. Nate talks about the cowboy way a lot. Sure, it's about making hard work more fun, but it's also more serious than that. It's a common creed in this part of the country, a kind of morality, a way of living life. 
being connected to the land, to nature, and to the ancestors who were here before you. It's a code cowboys like Nate follow to live with unbendable integrity, courage, and self-respect. To show up on a Saturday morning in 100-degree heat to care for your herd. We don't like it ourselves getting in this kind of weather, but it's how the cowboy way is. You got to do what you got to do. And for Nate, keeping the cowboy way alive has been a battle. I'm April Simpson, and from the Center for Public Integrity, this is season three of The Heist. This season, a heist by the U.S. government of land and wealth from America's Black farmers and ranchers. One study found that Black farmers lost $326 billion in land in the 20th century alone. That's more than the entire GDP of Chile or Colombia. I started reporting on rural issues five years ago, which led me to writing about agriculture. I grew up in rural America, but I'm not a farm kid. So it's only through my reporting I learned about the long, documented history of government discrimination against Black farmers and ranchers. That discrimination has largely been at the hands of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA. It was established by President Lincoln during the Civil War and grew to serve all farmers and ranchers to help them keep their businesses alive through droughts and storms and market crashes so that they can feed the country. And government support has arguably become more important as agriculture has become more challenging. Land costs have soared. Inflation has driven up the cost of equipment and supplies and big corporations have come to control much of the industry. It's very hard to be a small player. I first heard about USDA discrimination from elder farmers. And over the decades, there have been congressional hearings and reports about it. But I started to wonder whether it's still going on today. That led me to a quest for data from the USDA that could help us see how the department is treating Black farmers. And it led me to Nate Bradford. His story is both extraordinary and ordinary. A story about how Nate went to the USDA for help, but instead met obstacle after obstacle, nearly killing his ranching business. A story that shows how a history of discrimination looms over Nate and other young Black ranchers. On another hot Oklahoma summer day, Camille and I are driving to Nate's house which is two left turns and about 16 miles outside of his hometown, Bowley. We pass a large prison on the way. A highway sign warns us hitchhikers could be escaped inmates. And others tell us we're near tribal nations. Turn off the two-lane highway and the roads are mostly dirt or gravel and littered with roadkill. Green hills roll into the horizon and cattle lie in whatever shade they can find, desperate to avoid the sun. There are horses here and there and lots of farmhouses. Some look abandoned and others look brand new. 
We see a sign with Nate's address on it and the letter B for Bradford. His house is at the end of a winding gravel driveway. Nate's house is a really neat, thoughtfully decorated farmhouse. There are chimes by the front door, flower pots, a sleepy dog. And as I knock on the door, I notice a beautiful wreath hanging on it. Soon enough, Nate opens the door with a big smile. Good morning. Good morning. How we doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? Well, I've been out this morning. Come on in. I've talked to Nate dozens of times over the past few months, and I'm struck by how different he seems today. Much more relaxed. I'm on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) It's about good as it's going to get. Being on vacation means he's only doing ranch work. Normally, to make ends meet, Nate works nights at a gas plant an hour away. He uses time before or after shifts and his weekends to work on the ranch. His sons have often helped him. Me and my boys, you know, when I was young, we'd come in. We'd get started on a Friday, and we'd finish on Sunday about 10 o'clock. They was, and then they'd go to school on Monday morning. We was chasing cows, you know, working cows, moving cows. Today, he's relatively well-rested and eager. Y'all have to come in here and have a seat here. Water. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> He carefully takes off his work boots once we step inside and walks us into his dining room, which has warm maroon walls and a maple table that we all sit around. Mic check. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Nate and I have had dozens of conversations, but this is one of the first times we're meeting in person. And he wants to check in about what exactly we're here to do. I would say, what would you guys go... What do you say your goals is to do what? Our goal. Yeah. And this, you know, we're reporting this. What would y'all like to see? What would y'all like to see? Well, I'd say I want to tell a good story, like a real story that hits on a lot of the systemic problems that we know exist in the USDA and just in agriculture. Cool. Yeah. What do you want? What's your goal? Man, my goal is to be a full-time rancher is what my goal is to, you know, get, you know, the message out there. There's a lot of people going out of business right now. Nate grew up in Boley, a black town with a long history of agriculture. He's part of a distinct and important community in Oklahoma, black cattle ranchers. About two in three farms with Black producers in the state are in beef cattle ranching. But they're vastly outnumbered by farms with white producers. Ranching is a part of Nate's family's story, too. His grandfather and dad both had land and cattle. But they weren't trying to make ranching their full-time job. It was a side gig. Everybody there was working jobs. All the land was pretty much vacant. Only producers you had around there was like my grandpa. My grandpa had a few head of cows. And all he did with them cows was he would just he'd buy him a little Nissan pickup and he'd sell them a few cows he had, make his truck payment. Nate liked living in the country, but he went to college about an hour away and got a two-year degree in automotive service technology. 
He thought maybe he'd move to California, make a life somewhere other than Boley. But at college, he realized that he was fundamentally a country kid. I'm talking to people. They, they don't know nothing about no fishing. They ain't talking about no hunting. Boy, they ain't talking about nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, go to the club, but, you know, like, well, I don't really want to go to no club. I was quickly drawn back to the country. And I wanted to figure out how to get back here. And so I just kind of wanted to latch on back to my roots. It's just like, this is my calling. Nate decided he wanted to be a full-time rancher. He wanted to do more than have a handful of cows like his grandpa and dad. He wanted to quit his off-farm job and throw himself completely into building a successful ranching business. Nate is trying to buck the odds. Most Oklahoma ranchers, regardless of race, do have off-farm jobs. Still, there are ranchers who pull this off. And Nate's been working towards that goal for the last 20 years. It's put a strain on his finances and his relationships. But for all the hours, years he's put in, the ranch still hasn't made enough money for Nate to quit his job. And the clock is ticking for Nate. He's not going to keep working at it forever. Just until he turns 50, which is about six years away. When I turn 50, I am going to look at this deal with a whole other set of glasses. I don't want to lose my family. And, you know, I don't want to lose no more friends behind being buried so deep in this deal. But you ain't got time to be on earth, you know what I mean? Just to be normal. I can't run like this for 20 years, 20 more years, right? How are we gonna make it happen? You know what I mean? It's almost looking impossible. I think my heart get tight thinking about it. <laughs> A lot of pressure. But, you know, gotta make a way. The way I see it, there are two major forces that have made it seem impossible for Nate to succeed as a rancher, no matter how many hours he and his family put into the business. They're headwinds I hear about from people across the country, and they're the key to understanding why Black farmers and ranchers have been losing land and wealth at such a devastating pace. The first big force is the transformation of the American cattle industry. The U.S. is the world's largest producer of beef, but many smaller ranchers have been squeezed out by four companies that control most of the slaughterhouses that ranchers sell to. Ranchers used to be able to do one thing to survive. If they had land suitable for grazing, they could run a cow-calf operation, raising cows, breeding them, and then selling the calves or the adult animals at a stockyard. But now, Ranchers have to do a lot more to stay in the game. Nate has a term I really like for this, the Walmartification of ranching. Walmart, it sold a lot of cheap stuff, but when they brought in food, clothes, toys, tires, auto center, that's where ag is now. If you think you're gonna do, you might just specialize in the cow, calf deal, but it ain't gonna be enough money to sustain this business has got to where you have to do everything of it, and we are we are doing that and still not sustaining. All right, so here's our property. It's 160 acres. 
Um, we built this in 2003. To give us a sense of everything he's added to his operation, Nate's walking us around G-Line. Here on G-Line Ranch, what all we do, a little bit of everything. His cattle are at the center of his business. His income grows for every pound he can put on the animals. Goal is to get him to 1,200 pounds. Ooh, which heavy. is Yeah, which is, um, takes about a 16-month process. Keeping his cattle healthy with the kind of deworming and vaccinations we saw gets him a higher price and a bigger profit. Because they know the death rate, the sickness rate, is greatly declined. Raising the cattle means buying feed, too. For all the acres Nate owns, not all of it is suitable for grazing. He's got to supplement it with hay. So Nate started farming hay as well, while also trying to improve more of his land for grazing. It all takes a lot of equipment and a lot of time. It's 24-7, you know. I tell my job, my, my boys, that is. It plays open 24-7, so there's something to do around here all the time. <laughs> but selling hay and raising, breeding, and selling cattle, it hasn't been enough to make G-Line consistently profitable. The money coming in hasn't outweighed the costs of paying for his land, maintaining it, and buying equipment and feed. So Nate decided to make a big move towards Walmartification by selling beef directly to customers. Uh, trying to sell straight from my farm to the plate type of deal. We're selling um, G-Line beef. So, you know, with me and my wife started, this, started doing this about 2010. We didn't really have much success. And the internet wasn't as popular. And, and so um, we've got, you know, right now, our whole family is involved. And so it's a lot bigger and better deal now. Everybody's involved and in helping sell G-Line Ranch beef. But selling beef to customers is totally different from selling animals at a stockyard. It means Nate needs to be a marketer, too. So Nate's gotten into TikTok. He's using it to build the G-Line brand. He posts videos of life as a rancher, getting a cow's head unstuck from a hay ring, joking about buying feed during a drought, dancing with his kids at the corral, cutting off a cow's ingrown horn. That one has over 4 million views. I use, um, it's called an OB cable, um, used for like amputating your leg because it makes a good sharp cut. She actually kind of relaxed and was like, oh, this feels so much better. I know you're doing what I need, you know what I mean? Nate's great at TikTok. His videos are funny, surprising, and really charming. I can see how it would make someone want to support him and buy G-Line beef. One of my favorite things about his videos are the music pairings. Like, he has one about deer hunting paired with these lyrics. I wouldn't wait forever. Just shoot your shot. TikTok is a place for Nate to show the countless skills that go into ranching, to talk about the things that make it hard to survive in the industry, and to promote everything G-Line is doing. He posts videos of cooking with G-Line beef, bailing hay, and working on another project the family has taken on, processing deer meat out of a semi-trailer behind his house. It's another product line for G-Line, another potential income stream. 
One of Nate's sons came up with the idea when he realized there was nobody else doing it nearby. Hey, Dad, they don't have anywhere for deer processing. I think you need, we need to get a deer processing uh, going here. What can you do? So I come across a deal with this 52-foot semi-trailer. So this semi-trailer has a cooler in front of it, and we process deer out of it. Uh, we make summer sausage, and we're going to look at making some other stuff, you know, maybe do some deer jerky and jerky sticks or something. My son wants to do uh, because people had a strong interest, and they liked our product. So it was like, hey, you know, why not? You know what I mean? Another product line, another potential source of income, and also more work. Nate and his family do all the labor on the ranch. G-Line is a product of their skills, ideas, and hard work. Unlike larger ranches, Nate doesn't have other employees to count on. Despite all that, Nate's dream lives on. He still imagines what his life would look like if... One day, all that work made the ranch really successful, and all the labor wasn't just on him and his family. I know I have this house here, but I would like to cross this creek and go to the backside and build a new house on top of the hill back there and um, have a ranch foreman stay in this house here and help me see about the ranch. That's what, that's what the dream would be. <laughs> Sounds nice. That sounds nice, yeah. Is this business kind of isolating sometimes? Uh, I wouldn't say it's really isolating. Um, you know, everybody kind of goes through the same thing, but it's, uh, it's, it's I say it's kind of spiritual. It's because you, you just at a, you at the mercy of whatever, you know, God has to provide, you know what I mean? Um, you know, it's not, it's not man-made. Uh, this is all about Mother Nature. Um, you can't get closer to God, you know, than in, in this business. Mother Nature definitely has a strong hand in the agriculture business. But farmers and ranchers can get support to survive droughts, bad winters, and brutal storms. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is supposed to help people with that, and much more. But for Nate, and many other Black farmers and ranchers, Getting the help they need from the USDA has become another battle. More after the break. The USDA offers farmers and ranchers subsidies and loans to help them weather agriculture's tough and unpredictable economics. The subsidies are often direct payments to help farmers recover after something like a natural disaster or to get them through the disruptions of an unexpected event like the COVID-19 pandemic. USDA loans are a crucial lifeline too. A lot of what farmers and ranchers need to start and run a business, animals, acres of land, big equipment like tractors, is expensive. It requires a big investment. Often it requires a loan. And if you're a rancher or farmer, you may not be able to borrow from a regular bank. Most don't have an agricultural lending department. 
or they might see it as too risky if you have a low credit score or little experience, or because agriculture is so unpredictable. Instead, you go to the part of the USDA that manages loans, the Farm Service Agency, or FSA. The FSA is the primary lending agency for family-sized farms that can't get credit anywhere else. But the idea is that eventually, once a farmer or rancher's business is stable, they will be able to move to a business loan with a commercial bank. In a typical year across the country, the FSA issues about $10 billion in loans. FSA loan officers are supposed to understand the economic realities of agriculture, that revenue can be determined more by the whims of Mother Nature than the abilities of farmers. Maybe your calves, you're in a drought year, your calves come in, they win 380 pounds instead of 480 pounds, and now you need to hold them three months to precondition them and allow you to sell at a higher market. So now you're looking in a situation like, well, I'm short. Well, the cow ain't gonna have another baby till next year. Loan officers are trained to understand a situation like that and to respond with flexibility and support. But the response often depends on the office and its leadership. And Black farmers and ranchers have not had the kind of help that white people have had. The USDA has a long, documented history of discrimination against Black ranchers. Nate knew about that history. His dad says he experienced it directly and had lost land and wealth as a result. I was already kind of knowing what I was up against. You know what I mean? When Nate was starting out, he needed an FSA loan for cattle and another to buy some land. But he was wary. It was not going to help me fill in the blanks. I knew I had to know how to fill it out. So uh, what made my situation better than my dad's situation was, I would say I was more educated than my dad. It took two years, but in 2000, Nate was approved for an FSA loan to buy cattle. He then got another loan to buy land. But in the long run, those loans would threaten his business, his land, and his home. I, would, I cannot say this. Um, so it's kind of like, the Farm Service Agency is kind of like, uh, you got this, got this molester guy in the family that you know you don't want nobody to be around, but he's a part of the family and you got to deal with him. That's the way I went into FSA. I mean, I knew I was dancing with the devil. This season, we're going to follow Nate's struggle with the FSA and our struggle to get government data that could help us really understand how Black farmers and ranchers are being treated by the FSA whether the systemic discrimination faced by generations of Black farmers and ranchers is still at play today. Because this isn't just a story about Nate and G-Line Ranch, USDA discrimination has had an enormous impact on American agriculture. In 1910, Black farmers held between 16 and 19 million acres of farmland. But according to the latest Census of Agriculture, 
In 2017, they owned just over 2.5 million acres of active farmland. That's around an 85% decrease. As Nate struggled to hold on to his land, he's also learned about the broader history of Black farmers and ranchers. And it's made him even more determined to succeed. They came right out of slavery and after 1920. You know, 1921 was Tulsa race riot and industrial change. You know what I mean? We, the world was changing. Dust Bowl rolled up. They all declined and, and, and the numbers just declined off. But how did the people gain so much coming right out of slavery and now that it just was going down, I can't sit here and just watch it. For many Black farmers and ranchers, their struggles with the FSA aren't just about a loan or a piece of land, or, in Nate's case, realizing a dream. Rural Black life, rural Black agricultural life, has its own traditions, its own place in American culture. Nate is part of a very particular kind of the cowboy way, one that he thinks is worth preserving. We do a lot of things in the United States. We don't shoot the American eagle. We don't kill it. We don't, you know, stuff that's about to be extinct, those animals, we save them. All I'm saying is we save a lot of stuff in the United States. You know, what is the bad thing about saving a black ranchers? Next time on The Heist, Nate faces his first big obstacle as a rancher and doesn't get the support he needs from the FSA. I just wasn't, in his eyes, worthy of it, you know what I mean? Um, I'd been counted out, stereotyped. This season of The Heist is hosted by me, April Simpson, and brought to you by the Center for Public Integrity. This episode was written and produced by Camille Peterson. Our team includes Kiara Powell, Wilson Sayre, Sarah Nix, Keishelle Williams, Dan O'Donnell, McNelly Torres, Matt Dorenzo, Jamie Smith-Hopkins, Lisa Yannick Litwiller, Ashley Clark, Vanessa Lee, Charlie Dodge, and Janine Jones. Our fact checker is Peter Newbitsmith. This episode was mixed by Louis from StoryYard. And this podcast was produced in partnership with the McGraw Center for Business Journalism at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. Special thanks to Rural Advancement Foundation International USA.